0: Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you, and this week joined by a special guest, the owner, co-owner of Meyer Shank Racing. It is Michael Shank. Mike, thanks for coming on again.
1: Thanks for having us, guys.
0: Now, Mike, fresh off another Rolex 24 win at Daytona, did you ever expect to get Elio Castroneves late in his career and have such a, a renaissance in, in his driving capabilities here?
1: Well, oh, I mean, we certainly bet on bet on the fact that he could do that, and uh, in this case, you know, it made a lot of sense because he had spent the last three or four years driving this particular car with Roger and then Wayne and then now us. So uh, a lot of it made sense on paper, but you know, it's really about him and his attitude right now. And you know, he's as intense as he's ever been. He he does the homework, he prepares, and um, you know, when you got you know talent like his, it, you know, it comes to. Something.
0: Now, you, you have to admit, does it feel really good to get the Rolex 24 with Elio when he couldn't get it done with Penske on the sports car side? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I, I have not verbalized it that way. <laughs> it just feels good to win. We, as a group, as, a, as MSR, as a team, and a group, we needed it really bad. And uh, it came at the right time, but we also worked hard for it. We had a great strategy. The drivers did well. The mechanics were right on us. And the engineers called what I can Consider just a fantastic strategy. and um, You know, uh, we didn't make a whole lot. We did have some mistakes during the race, but nothing that we couldn't recover from. And uh, that was the key to it. Don't panic when the bad stuff happens, you know.
2: Mike, you, you start the year off, the, the racing year, so to speak, with, with a big victory at the Rolex 24. What does that do, you know, across the entire organization to begin the season with such a prolific win?
1: Well, it's two things. First off, remember, my, my two full-time guys on the sports car program, this is their first race. So they're looking at me like, we just won our first time out. <laughs> Same thing with L.A. and Simon. Simon's looking at me like, what? Like, how is this happening? You know. So he's been, Simon Pagina has been trying to win that race for a very long time. And uh, I'm really glad we were able to get that done for him also, by the way. And uh, I just... You know, there's just a lot of momentum within our group and our shop right now at home here where we're working. Uh, you can feel it. And uh, we, we just try not to upset the apple cart. We'll try to keep doing what we do, not get fancier, change a lot of our ways, just fine, fine-tune our our standard ways and, and just keep rolling forward here.
0: Mike, you mentioned Simon Pagino in addition to the IndyCar program for this year as you expanded two cars full-time. You know, how helpful has it been having a, another experienced driver, an Indy 500 champion and an IndyCar title winner to add to the team with Elio, with your experience? Uh, do you think this is kind of the season that things, you know, really take off for your team? Uh,
1: it's possible. I mean, I think we've put the right tools in the right place to include experienced guys. So and, and uh, driving the cars. So, um, yeah, listen, we've, we've, You know, if you look at the driving side, we've we've checked those boxes. From the preparation side, we haven't lacked for anything, any spare part, any new part. We've done everything we can to be, like, really prepared for that second quarter, which is always the hardest part of the IndyCar schedule from a grueling standpoint, right? You know, we're preparing everything we can to make a real run at top five finishes here and and get both guys up to the top five in the championship. That would be uh, a a humongous year for us. And, again, we're fighting for, you know, more uh, to keep the program funded. And, you know, it's all important that we perform for these folks. I think we have, in my opinion, going into the Indy 500, you could argue this, I suppose, but I think we have two of the top five guys at that track on the Oval, on the whole series. So I, I like our odds.
0: Mike, with the season starting a little bit earlier than normal this year, you know, you mentioned that grueling second quarter of the season, but it's different starting in February of the IndyCar season this year. Has that kind of changed the preparation and approach when it comes to testing and getting everything ready to go?
1: Uh, A little bit. It it pushes that time envelope a little bit, but it just meant we had to plan more back in October and November, you know, kind of when we know it was coming. So. You know, you look at our our normal off, you know, specifically IndyCar side right now. You know, we knew what testing we needed to do, put it on the calendar. We needed we needed to know what off-site testing we're doing, like wind tunnel work and stuff like that. That all got a little bit compressed, but all completely necessary and and key ingredients to how you win the Indianapolis 500. So we just had to compress that a little bit from MSR standpoint. You know, we added quite a few people. Uh, because of going to two full-time people, uh, to two full-time drivers. So we also had to get them up and settled here and those kind of things. kind uh, got to prepare for a, a earlier than normal start, you know.
2: Mike, you know, with, with the long off season for IndyCar, we have to fill uh, podcasts with a lot of different talk, and we're always talking car count, and it was always – uh, in the off season, Myers Shank, are they going to add a third? Do they add a a, a third part time? You know, we 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 go back and forth about that. But you're the guy who has to make the, that those decisions. So, you know, what things did you have to consider, you know, in the off season to decide what exactly your lineup was going to be for 2022?
1: Yeah, and in no way in 2022 we're we doing three cars. We're just to be honest. We just don't have the equipment for it or the people. So. We will never uh, jeopardize any one of the other programs for a third when it doesn't make sense. We've we've stuck to very strict timelines uh, in everything we've done in IndyCar, and I think it's really paved the way to success for us. And I'm not about to change it. So we're not ready to talk about three cars in any way right now. I have three cars. I have two IndyCars and one sports car, and that alone is you know 50 to 60 full-time people. That's that's plenty, you know.
0: You know, you've been very methodical in your expansion with the IndyCar side and even sports cars. Uh, why is that such a, a timeline you've stuck to uh, with your race team?
1: I just have seen, I, I've, other people have gone down this path before, and I've seen how it destroys things. Uh, they don't work out. The money gets spent in weird places. They don't have enough money or resource or people to cover it. And it ends up in a big bomb. Uh, and, and we don't want to do that. That was my promise to Jim Meyer uh, and my wife that we would not overspend, you know, until we're ready to spend, until we have the money. It's mostly spending. And then secondly, is people, you know, can we can we staff it in a way that uh, we don't make a fool out of ourselves? And, um, and and we've stuck to that, and it's worked for us. And uh, you look at some teams that came in when we did in 2018 and where they're at now, uh, you'll get my drift.
2: You know, you mentioned Jim in that, but, you know, I, I feel like the wife is the most important one, right? You don't want to piss off the
0: wife. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she, she, uh, she knows what you speak of. Uh, yeah, she's been with me every step of the way on this thing for the, the good and the bad. And uh, listen, we just, we got to have, you know, racing is a passionate thing, right? Like all I want to do is spend money and try to win races. It takes money to win, we all know, but it's not always about that. And, and efficiencies come into play for longevity, meaning, you know, what's the real play here? We're trying to employ 50 people and we need to make sure they get paid 12 months of the year, you know. So the long play, the long game is way more important to us than, you know, listen, we're, uh, we committed to, like a great example, 10 races with Jack Harvey in 2019. And the commitment was 10 races. Funny enough, we did the first five as part of the plan and we were, eighth or ninth at points and we're looking at ourselves that what are we doing here we should just finish this out and we and we looked at each other and said nope we're not prepared for that we don't have the people and we and we have to go rob Peter to pay Paul and it's just not worth it so um, we're, we're proud of those decisions we made you know
2: Mike, you're heading into uh, to 2022 IndyCar season, two full-time rides, but there's also a lot of discussion on the future of IndyCar, new engine spec, and and uh, you know hybrid technology, and all that coming, potential chassis a year or two after. How do you balance 2022 and focusing on the now, but also doing what you need to do to be ready for the future?
1: Well, we just try to stay in as much communication with Jay Fry and his group as much as possible, understanding you know, what they think this is really going to look like, when we do the transition, what's the car going to need. And really, it's a lot about timing and budget. Like, what do we think we're going to need to put away in order to update our cars to not only hybrid, but whatever else comes along with hybrid. And there's quite a few systems uh, affected by that. So um, we just keep talking as much as we can. We know it's inevitable. We know it's going to happen. You know, the one thing Jay Fry understands his, his cash flow with teams. He's lived it. He's been a part of it, him and his wife. And so they know where we stand. He's always been great about you know making it as, as easy as, a, as he can on teams to take on new additions like the windscreen or any other thing, a big dollar thing IndyCar brings along. I, I If you have to ask me my opinion and I trust me, I hate when I, I don't want to say this, but this car in time has come um, we're going to have to suck it up at some point and start over again. Uh, it's going to be way too heavy with the hybrid system in it. Um, and so, you know, it's probably time for all of us to have to suck it up. Listen, you know even for us coming in 2018, we're going to get, even us coming in this late, coming in 2018, we own four cars now. You know, we're going to get three to four years out of those chassis, and that's a, that's a win, right? That's a win. These guys that have been around since 2012, I mean, they're just hitting that out of the park. Um, from a, you know being able to write costs off over a period of time, so at some point we got to look at each other and say, all right, we got to we got to figure out a way to let's figure out a way to get an all new design car in here and uh, go from there. Do you
0: have any tests coming up before the start of the season?
1: Yeah, so you know we got this big IndyCar Sebring test for I would say all of the teams are going to be there the 14th and 15th on the short course. Uh, we're doing the second day. So I, I think you'll see about 15, 14, 13 cars each day. It'll be like a mini Grand Prix down there, uh, big time. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see how that goes. So we're all doing that, and then we come home for three days, and then we have the same heat. Uh,
0: you, we mentioned testing, and it, it seems when we look to the future, it's the usual suspects, the Ganassis, the Penske's. you throw in McLaren, maybe Andretti as far as testing the, the new capabilities for, for different things for IndyCar is there any reason why a team like yours is not being asked to do these tests?
1: So we already did. We did an October IMS test with Helio, uh, doing some work for Firestone and the series. So we, we, uh, from our perspective, I feel like we get asked enough considering our status, and uh, I don't, I don't feel too, too left out at this point.
0: Do you feel that IndyCar? leans toward the bigger teams or you think that has shifted you know with your experience recently
1: uh, well yeah I think they do what they think is the right thing to do um, and I don't think I have a whole lot of comment about that because I've been I've done two tests in my time I've done a, a an engine test for them back in 2018 or so been Ohio 2019 I can't remember and then we just did this other test for them in October so. Considering, you know, you know, at best we're a mid-sized team now with two cars, you know, I, I think it's probably where it should
2: be. Mike, I want to ask you a question about uh, the road to Indy. And I know that you're in a, a, a bunch of different disciplines in sports cars and obviously that I know they're trying to make the road to Indy more alluring to current Indy car teams. Uh, you know, w- why or why aren't uh, you guys invested in that side of things?
1: Uh, it's certainly not from the fact that we don't believe in it, because we invest in it. We've invested in Braden news for a couple years. To be yeah. honest with you, uh, uh, within another team, and that's kind of the route we're going right now. We're really, we, we just have to be zone focused on what we're doing in IndyCar and the sports car program. These these programs are at the top level in North America for both disciplines, and we cannot falter it, to take away to go do the latter. It's not that we don't believe in it. It's just, I we, I just, I can't put any resources to it uh, now.
2: You know, since your your wife's in the car, we, we keep mentioning, uh, you know, getting involved in other things, and you keep saying, you know, we're focused. You know, how how is it often you come home with some hair scheme, and she has to, you know, say no, this is the plan.
1: Well, it used to be that way all the time. <laughs> my, my latest hair scheme is uh, boating in the Caribbean as soon as possible. <laughs>
2: It, he still has a lot of hair. You're <laughs> do not, do not getting wrong. I think it goes with uh, with husband territory. I think all of us, uh, you know, we just uh, you know, we're corralled a little bit once we get married, for sure.
1: Yeah, okay you can't help yourself. You know, like, you know listen, we, her and I have always had to be super creative to get anywhere in this world, and uh, we, her, her and I stumbled stumbled upon Jim Meyer a few years ago, and. And that's changed our life, to be honest with you, in, in every facet of every part of our life. So it's just timing, decisions, timing of decisions that have proved well for us. But also, I think we deserve it, too. We've worked hard, we've taken chances, and uh, we've got the important wins when we needed them. And that's that's kind of what propels us forward, you know.
0: Speaking of harebrained ideas, did you have a chance to watch any of the Clash? And if so, is there... An idea or something out there for IndyCar to do to kind of captivate an audience before the season or, or even during the season?
1: Yeah, I, I, I really like the clash. I, you know, there's opinions all, all, everywhere on this, but I really liked it. And what I like is the idea that we need to do some things different to capture audience participation. And, uh, and I think they did a brilliant job. Um, it's not perfect, uh, but I'm telling you, you know, thinking of outside the box. Stuff to engage younger audience or any audience is going to be massively important for all of us. And um, I thought they did a great job. And I hats off to Ben Kennedy, who was who, kind of the spirit, the, you know, the sharp end of the stick on that deal. And I thought they did a great job. I loved it.
0: Mike, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. We know you're a busy guy, and uh, good luck as you get ready for the start of the 2022 NTT IndyCar Series season.
1: Thanks very much, guys. Anytime.
0: As always, it's great to talk with Mike Shank. I think he's become our favorite team owner guest on the podcast. Also, he's, I think, been the only team owner guest on the podcast.
2: And maybe the only realistic team owner for the podcast, let's be honest. (laughs) I mean, and that's not to take anything away from the current crop of owners, but Mike is as down to earth a dude in his position that you're going to find. I mean every testament that you've read and heard is the dude is the same exact person he was when he first got into auto racing as an owner. And you know, to to to, to come on the on the show with us in the car with his wife, you know, who knows, running errands, whatever they're doing. But for him to do that, you know, I, I just I find it hard to fathom any other, at least full time team owner currently in indycar doing that
0: no no i I don't think so and you know it's great and i I found it interesting as we transition into some team news he he didn't necessarily comment on it but he referenced it talking about you know when they entered the sport and how methodical they have been uh in indycar and he said you know some teams have come and gone since we started this in 2018 and one of those teams that's come and gone as far as we know is, is carlin and Carlin Racing, according uh, to Marshall, prude of racer.com is entered a, now this is confusing to me, but it's a, a partnership, a technical alliance with home Hollinger racing. Now they're not going to field an entry, but a lot of the team members are going to, from Carlin are going to move over to the home Hollinger effort, uh, with Callum, I lot in the 77 car. And, you know, they, they have a lot of assets, from what people understand as far as, you know, equipment and then throw in some team members. Um Jevs Taron from Carlin is expected to serve as the team's technical director. Carlin Indy Lights Race Engineer Steve Barker make a season long IndyCar Race Engineering debut with ILOT. Um however, the team not expected to put another car in play during the month of May uh, as far as a second entry in the Indy 500. So that's a team that's coming on. You look at Carlin, I mean, it sadly kind of ends with a whimper, right? Where early on, you have the the fifth place for Charlie Kimball at Toronto in the first season in 2018, and then in 2019, things took a turn.
2: Well, you know, the highlight was the top five, never got on a podium, had a poll with Connor Daly, and that was pretty much it. And I think if you want to point to one particular time that really cost Carlin it's May of twenty nineteen. And the fact that Pato Award does not qualify, Max Chilton does not qualify, and your you know affiliate with Fernando Alonso doesn't qualify. And that's you know what two and a half you could say but you know two of your drivers two of your cars are not in the field for the Indianapolis 500 and we've talked about it before Caleb we love bumping we love the the pageantry and the the the, the chaos that is bump day and teams not making the Indianapolis 500 but I feel like missing that race with two of your drivers cost that team a potential potential future in IndyCar.
0: Well, and, and it cost consistency, right? Because Max Chilton didn't want to do ovals after that, except for the Indy 500. Correct. Yeah. I mean, that came about. And so Connor Daly started filling in, you know, with the team, which, I mean, it was good for the team and everything we, we've heard on the rumor mills that Carlin really coveted Connor Daly and Connor got a deal to stay with Ed Carpenter racing. And that was that. And it seemed to be kind of the final nail in the coffin for them having an entry in 2022. And, you know, Charlie Kimball qualified for that Indy 500 with Carlin. But when you have McLaren, the McLaren-affiliated, you know, kind of partnership entry, which, to be fair, that raised a lot of eyebrows when that was announced, right? right. Everyone was yeah. confused. The The only, the, the selling point was, well, they're based, you know, they have junior formula operations in europe and you know the familiarity with that as far as you know a lot of guys in f1 of race for carlin and you know what was then gp3 gp2 etc or other support series so there's a familiarity there but outside of that everyone was puzzled you know why not partner with andretti you know that was right. apparently not on the table for a single entry you know they wanted to go it alone and that wouldn't work how that was set up and you know that was really the beginning of the end because think about it this is a way for Carlin to have good publicity with that mcLaren partnership and I don't I don't want to say save the team but to put the team on more solid footing and, and that completely backfired and yeah they gave Pato award a, a shot that season and he still ran more races and that was good because he was able to be an indie car and you know, when he was completely out of a ride going into that season uh, with the, the Harding deal falling apart but it just That was the decisive point. I think everyone's going to agree with that. Yeah. And I feel
2: like there was never... I mean, we just talked to Mike Shank, who has had a plan. He has had an IndyCar plan for years, and this is a multi-year thing. And he just won the Indianapolis 500, ladies and gentlemen, last year. Yet he's not deviating from the plan. And I feel like, you know, did Carlin come into IndyCar... Without a plan? It sure looked like it, right? Did they come in maybe with an air of arrogance that said, hey, we dominate the junior formulas in Europe. F2, a lot of people compare F2 to IndyCar, you know, that, that, that uh, stick their noses up to IndyCar over in Europe and around the world in Formula 1. Did did Carlin come over here thinking, we're competing in F2, we can do it in IndyCar right off the bat? And they didn't? I, I feel like... Carlin could have a tremendous amount of success in the United States in IndyCar if they built slowly, if they, they jumped back in, in Indy lights for 2023 or something or two cars, and then did that for a couple years. And then maybe they partner with a team in IndyCar. And there was no real ever like, you know, a, a technical alliance when they were first getting into the series, they just jumped into the deep end alone. So Obvious mistakes along the way, lack of performance from cars. Sometimes it was just luck or bad luck that cost them. Um, I, I feel like Mike Shank would say, you know, there's a certain part of luck in, in auto racing. And Mike Shank and Meyer Shank Racing has been lucky the last couple of years. And I would say Carlin has been unlucky the last couple of years. But you also... You know, you sleep in the bed you make, and I think organizationally and planning, Shank did its homework, did what it was supposed to do, is doing what it should do, and Carlin just didn't. And I will be fascinated once we see that Hunkos Hollinger car at St. Pete to see how much Carlin representation is on the car, because I have no idea what a technical alliance means, I mean is Carlin employing these these this personnel for this team? Yeah, like are they loaning them out? Yeah, I, I don't know like are employees? they under contract but they're technically Carlin employees but who is paying Carlin for their service? Like I don't know what the technical alliance means. Is Carlin sharing data from previous years with them with involving these chassis? Like I don't know what this means. Um You know, a lot of people just think it's the end of Carlin, you know, could it just be a reset for Carlin and it's going to next year be an affiliate with a second card who goes, I I really don't know. At this point, I doubt it, but I don't know what technical alliance means. And I wish somebody would ask the proper questions to find out what it is, because it just, you know, at least with the stories we've seen, it's not clearly explained what that means.
0: Yeah, you know, could these employees still be on staff with Carlin, be loaned out? I mean, to me, that would be the technical alliance when you throw in the engineer who's supposed to be, according to the article on Racer, you know, be the engineer for that car. But then at the end of the season, does that mean they're still a Carlin employee if they're under contract? You know, do they go back to Europe? Does Carlin restart the IndyCar program 2023? I don't know. It doesn't seem likely, but. I, I guess my question is this do we see a Carlin sticker on the car? I don't think so
2: i'm I'd be fascinated to know that you know if we don't then you know what kind of technical hints you have like even if it's just a small sticker on a wing I, I don't know, but uh yeah, it's um it's puzzling. It's not surprising that this is the direction that Carlin has gone in or has been forced to go in. I'm just wondering, you know, is it just an outright buyout? Or is it some sort of cooperative effort? And if it is a cooperative effort, then explain it better to me. And if it's a buyout, just say so.
0: Yeah, here's here's kind of the verbiage. Having purchased Carlin's inventory of IndyCar assets during the offseason, Racer understands the majority of the Carlin team members who were with the program in 2021 will move forward supporting Hukos Hollinger Racing in its single-car effort, the number 77 Chevy. The change also signals the long-anticipated end of Carlin's IndyCar program which we know started in 2018, ran through last season. But that tells me that Carlin's done an IndyCar, so what's the technical alliance
2: mean? Technical alliance means both entities are moving together
0: toward a common goal. I guess it's the staffing that's the technical alliance, but one would think, you know, are they still, uh, again... This doesn't clarify. Are they still Carlin employees? Right. I or mean, contractually. Yeah. You know, are
2: they locked in for the twenty twenty two season with Carlin? But now that they have no entry, they're being loaned out. I guess. I, I don't know. Um, I, I just need more explanation and what's going on. But um, you know, unfortunately, it just wouldn't work out for Carlin. That's auto racing, right? I mean, it was yeah. a it was de- a, a definite uphill climb four years ago when this effort first came to bid and that hill has only gotten steeper since 2018 and way more competitive. Yeah. And Carlin is still at the foot of the mountain. They've not made any progress up. So I, I, I don't feel like it's a mistake to bow out. I think you can look at the, the results or lack thereof and say, yeah, what are they doing?
0: Meanwhile, continuing on with the uh, teams trying to climb their way up that mountain, AJ Foyt Racing, uh, Marshall Pruitt of racer.com, reporting that uh, racer understands the oval opportunities in the number 11 Chevy. That would be Texas, Indianapolis, Iowa, and Gateway, likely to be filled by J.R. Hildebrand. I don't think this is a surprise, right? I, I mean, right. this is the Calderon car for the Red street courses. Hildebrand was always going to be on the short list. You throw in Kimball maybe Hunter Ray but Hildebrand seems the the projected person for the ovals for that entry. I mean he's got experience yeah. with the team.
2: Um he has the backing, at least the financial backing that can cover him for a certain amount of races. So definitely seems to make sense. What we have not gotten clarity about is that Rocket sponsorship. Will
0: that remain on the car on the ovals or will it be Salesforce for example, which has been Linked with JR for a couple of Indy 500 entries, and they've been all over Winter Olympics. Winter advertising. Olympics.
2: If I have to watch Matthew McConaughey tell me how great the Earth is again, um, I'm I may burst.
0: <laughs> it's but a cool ad. It though. is a cool ad. I, I do like
2: it, but not not once does it tell you in the commercial what the hell Salesforce is. Yeah, but maybe that's the hook. I, I'm not in 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 marketing or whatever, but. Maybe that's the hook: is the fact that you put together a, a pretty snazzy commercial with Michael McCon or uh, Matthew McConaughey, and then people just look up Salesforce to see what it is.
0: I don't know. Well, the the ad has captured my attention, and they're taking obvious shots at Facebook and I Meta, forget, yeah, the and, Metaverse and Amazon. You know, yeah. with, with the ad, so it's entertaining. Uh, the The other one of the other stories, as far as any five hundred entry. Uh, Marati Autosport working on a co-entry for the 500. This is that Spirit of Speedway thing, which, to be fair, we both thought when we've seen stories about this, it was complete vaporware, but we'll see if they're able to work something together. He has partnered with uh, Coin in the past uh, for previous 500s. Uh, He did partner with a team that is now Aero McLaren SP back in 2016. But uh, he, he's meeting in Indianapolis Wednesday, today as we record this, all day for sponsor meetings, and we'll, we'll see if they can get something together. It seems like it'll be a Chevrolet entry, not a surprise, Honda seems pretty full, but uh, we'll see what comes of this. I, I don't know, I guess I'm just not confident. You're
2: still, when this first came out that it was going to be this Spirit of Speedway sponsored car for the 500, you scoffed pretty yeah. audibly. I would say Um, I hope it's something it's, it sounds promising. The fact that uh, uh, Maradi has had experience in the 500 in the past makes me feel a little bit more positive about this effort, but it still takes dollars and cents and a partner to make this happen. And I don't think the purely the, Spirit of Speedway hook is enough. He's going to need some more financial backing from somewhere and a partner. And it's going to be a
0: Chevy team partner. So that narrows the field. Yeah, we'll we'll see if they put something together. But um, I, don't know. I still have my doubts. And the more this goes forward, the more it seems like you know, 36 entries seems like a long shot. 35 seems iffy. It You almost wonder, will there only be 33 this year as teams are probably tightening up, getting ready for all these changes with, you know, hybrid in 2023 and a new chassis coming in two or three years time. It just seems like there's no momentum for more entries, which was not what we thought, you know, going into this year.
2: You know, it's not like a chassis change like if let's say 2024 is the final year for the dw12 and you know we always see this at the end of, the, of a lifespan of a chassis where everybody has spare chassis so they're just going to enter cars right
0: but yeah 2011
2: yeah it. yeah so nobody's doing this when it comes to engine specs like you know uh honda and chevy are like oh hey, we got a bunch of spare engines laying around let's just you know we got plenty of cars here we'll, we'll do 20 cars each in may how about that no, that doesn't happen. So, you know, the the surplus of engines is small. You know, they build these things to, to exact specifications. So there's not going to be extra engines to be had in the final year of a particular engine spec. And two, you know, you look at efforts. We talked to Mike Shank about it earlier in terms of balancing those efforts between now and the future. And teams are starting to look towards the future, what they need to do to be prepared for 2023 beyond. And, of course, the engine suppliers are doing that. They're working on the specifications and the designs for their engines in 2023 and beyond. So, you know, pardon Honda and Chevy if they're saying, you know what, we usually do 18 each. You know, you know, it could Chevy come back and say, hey, we're only doing 16 or 17. You know, absolutely. And so could we be looking at a field of 34? And then that you know, leads to my conversation. Look, if there's 34, start them all. 35, I get it for bumping. 34,
0: start 34. 34, it just it makes it tough. And I want to say in 2012 or 13, we, we had 34 entries, and it was Mario Dominguez, I think, missing out in a Ray Hall entry. Sounds right, yeah. In, in one of those years. And it's, yeah, like you said, your point, you know, the whole, it's the fastest 33. Well, that part's hardly ever been true, yeah, right? right. Absolutely. Based on how qualifying used to be set up. And in 97, we had 35 entries. We, we've had more than 33, you know, in the past. It just, it makes it so tough when you're just that one car. And, and unless it's from a big team, I mean, it is. And even then that's, that's really bad for that team. Cause it's going to be a primary, like a primary sponsor, well-known sponsor that it's just not going to work on a business model standpoint. And you just, you hope that we get at least a little bit more bumping and throwing out some more names. RC Enerson searching for a new team, according to Marshall of racer.com for this year's Indy 500. Um, Enerson saying, we're trying our best to be in something for the 500. There's just not a lot of open seats at all right now. Talking to some of the other team owners they are like, no, we're sticking with this number of cars and that's that. I'm hoping the window isn't closed. Uh they've been looking for sponsorship since uh the NDGP. And this this talking about the August race. I think they did that race, and but Enerson' saying as of right now, I won't be there with Top Gun. Now, does
2: that in any way and I read this story a couple times trying to find some hints, what do we think about Top Gun's chances then to be at Indy, does that read like RC Enerson is looking for other opportunities because Top Gun's not going to be there, or are they, you know, splitting and each are making efforts for May?
0: Man, that's, that's I tough. I agree. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough to tell because, you know, this is presented like it's a new team that he's looking for. Right. He says, you know, I don't know the exact quote is, but basically
2: I'm looking for something for the 500, but it will not be with Top Gun. Is it not with Top Gun because Top Gun won't be a thing, or you know, are you looking for other opportunities?
0: I I don't know, and you
2: know that's because <sighs> that's one of those teams we were factoring in, right? Yes. Or car count, correct? But we haven't heard anything from Top Gun in the off season, and we mentioned this, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago with Carlin. Right? Silence on social media is deafening and definitely noticed even when you're not posting anything and I haven't seen anything from Top Gun in months
0: well and look if you're not going to have something ready to announce by St. Pete normally that was kind of the normal timeline and I get it it's a couple weeks earlier this year but still with the grid already pretty full if you don't have something to announce by then it brings into doubt whether you're going to have a car entered for the race right
2: and and not even officially announced but you know, you just start hearing stuff from media or whatever that they're sniffing around, right? Such and such is trying to work out a deal with such and such. You know, Team A is looking for team, you know, Driver B or Driver C is looking to make a deal with Team D, and you're not hearing any of that. And maybe once we get into the season, because uh, I'm sure once we get to St. Pete and everybody talks to everybody, some stuff will start leaking out from the off season. I get it, but at the same time you know, no rumors whatsoever. There's very little that happens in 2022 without a little smoke first, right? There's, we're hardly ever legitimately shocked anymore. You know, you and I know enough that if, you know, Toyota joined on board as a third manufacturer tomorrow, we are be like, oh yeah, we, we, we saw that coming. Right. Um, you know, so, Anything that comes out of nowhere is surprising nowadays. And more often than not, you at least start hearing something about, you know, Top Gun or Maradi or whoever. And at least we have a story of Maradi looking. Okay. So we know they're a prospective starter potentially or a potential qualifier. Top Gun heard nothing except for Enerson saying, I'm not going to be there.
0: And we've heard more, you know, talking about another driver's. We have. 31 like kind of confirmed entries 32 if you throw in marco and a fifth andretti car so i mean there there's still one more seat to be had that's locked in right and we don't even have that yet which after how quick everything was to be announced this offseason as far as full-time rides that that seemed all but buttoned up by the first of the year um we're we're kind of Lacking for those Indy 500 one-offs after Dry and Reinbold made their announcement a couple months ago, and another driver to throw into it. This one uh, we kind of wondered, but this from AutoWeek.com: James Hinchcliffe not ready to call IndyCar hiatus a retirement just yet. Um, he wants to be reporting from the cockpit of a race car for the Indy 500. Um, he says if the right ride does come along, that opportunity is there as far as I guess that's as far as reporting right from the car. Right. Um, he says NBC has even expressed how exciting it could be to have essentially a member of the broadcast team be part of the race. And we call it the in-race reporter rather than a pit reporter. Um,
1: Man, but, that's but just... as
0: far as options go, there's really nothing mentioned in the article for specific rides. Uh, hence, saying that he's not retired from racing. He's just stepped back from full-time IndyCar competition. Um, obviously, everyone kind of thought with this that an Indy 500 ride and Toronto ride would kind of be part of it, but so far it's nothing, and it kind of makes you wonder if those opportunities just dried up. Yeah. I-, I wonder how much more you can take the
2: you know in-car reporter than what we see already where you have a pre-race interview on warm-up laps maybe if you have an extended caution you're checking in what else do you want a driver to do during a race especially the magnitude of the Indianapolis 500 like uh, i'm sorry if 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 James Hinchcliffe is this in-car reporter and he's in you know the in the conversation to win the race his priorities are not on the broadcast or even if he's running 23rd, I find it hard to believe going, oh, hey, you know, throw it to me when you have an opportunity. I have a good anecdote here as I'm going 230 mile an hour. I find it hard to believe. So you know conceptually, you say, oh, hey, that'd be cool. And then you start thinking about it. Like, what are they going to add really? That we don't already get. And half the time, you know, the, the they have a hard time getting a hold of the driver. You can barely hear him. They can't hear the question. Something like that. Like, it's it's painful to watch. I, I tend to not watch the um, I usually fast forward my DVR at the the in-car interviews because there's so much that can and does go wrong and very little payoff very little time do I come away from those going man I really learned a lot from that 30 seconds talking to a driver
0: yeah I think the communication aspect it, it's difficult for them to communicate with the driver from the booth, right? I mean, that's the biggest problem. Half the time, like you said, it doesn't seem to work. (sighs) I, I don't think we'll see Hinch in the 8,500. It just seems all quiet on that front. Unless something gets put together that we don't know about, but I thought I saw Genesis on one of the other Andretti cars, you know, for, for this upcoming season. And that was a sponsor Hinch brought to the team. So doesn't look promising unless he has something else lined up. Uh, and then another bit of driver news. Not that this is a surprise. Max Chilton leaving car. He's joined McMur. Let me try this again. McMurtry Automotive there you head go. development driver. He's developing a, a car, um, a road car, and it's kind of like a high performance road car. Which is
2: something it sounds like Max wanted to, has wanted to do, you know, for a while. Uh, Going back to, to Hinchcliffe in terms of the possibilities for Hinch, we've discussed the streaming show that's, is it coming at some point? Maybe, potentially. And we've talked about building that around the month of May. I feel like you could have added content if James Hinchcliffe was part of that Show through the month of May, maybe as a driver trying to make the race, but also an analyst and and doing that. So I could see his, his driver and um, announcer acumen working very well in that realm. But other than that, I'm just not sure what you can do to combine broadcasting and driving that's going to be fresh and new.
0: And... I just if I'm a driver I want full focus on the race. Yeah, and the right? team
2: wants that too, right? They don't they don't want to hire you or bring you on to race their race car and half your mind is on oh man, at lap, you know, 90 I need to do a check-in with NBC and and go live. Like, no, you're you're racing a race car, their race car. And you have minimal distractions. So, uh, yeah, it's a, that's another hurdle, great point in terms of having Hinch as an in-car reporter in the 500.
0: And that's a look at some of the driver news. One other bit of team news before we uh, move forward. A renewal and a partnership for Aaron McLaren SP. Multi-year renewal with Lucas Oil, branding on both the number five and seven cars. They'll also be the primary sponsor for Montoya, the GMR Grand Prix on the IMS road course, that courtesy of Nathan Brown of the indie star so good to see a long partner back and you know before we move forward we didn't really touch much on this justin but you know we both caught bits and pieces of the rolex 24 a couple of weeks ago and you know i I guess what were your takeaways i i caught a a little bit here and there and caught the final i don't know half hour 45 minutes it's not something i feel like i have to watch all of it obviously but it's it's just nice to have some racing to watch I, i think is my perspective I, I would watch just enough just to get to scratch that itch. I
2: turned it on Sunday morning, watched for maybe a half hour. And that was pretty much all I needed. And and I told you after the fact, it's very difficult for me to become heavily invested in a sporting event that has nobody there. And I know, you know, the majority of people are in the infield and all that stuff, but there's, there's, There's not a lot of people there. There's not a lot of spectators. I get it. Some people are listening, going, it's an endurance race. What do you expect people to sit there for 24 hours? No. But at the same time, you know, we're told that racing events without fans kills the, you know, the excitement level. Uh, We went through this during, you know, COVID and, you know, places that IndyCar has gone and other series have gone that nobody's in the seats. And, There's just no excitement whatsoever. It really takes away from the show considerably. And then you come around and try to tell me that I'm supposed to care about the Rolex 24 as a prestigious race when there's nobody there. It's very difficult. And I know endurance racing is kind of a different animal, but I look around and there's just nobody there. And I'm like, how how important is this really if nobody's there? Like, I understand it's important, but it's it's perception, right? And for me, it doesn't come off as a huge event because of the lack of fans.
0: Well, and I would say, uh, again, fans aren't in the stands, maybe except for the start and the end of the race. Otherwise, they're in the infield, and that's kind of where the, the party and all the entertainment and action is. Um, also, they could have 10,000 people there and then all be in the stands and it'd look pitiful it'd still look pitiful yeah
2: but i mean you know daytona's taken a considerable amount of of seats out i think it now seats what like is just it, 80, over ninety, just is over hundred. hundred yeah okay uh but that's you know half of what they used to have it was close to 200 um but look i, I know there's a lot of people that love sports car racing you know we have mike shank on yeah I, like i get it i'm not i'm not dogging uh sports car racing i'm just saying for me it's tough for me to invest in something when there's not a lot of people there.
0: And taking a look at the IndyCar, you know, obviously Meyer Shank Racing with Simon Pagino and Elio Castronevis as part of the uh, team, the overall winner in the LMP1. But then in LMP2, Dragon Speed, it's a familiar team name for IndyCar fans. Yeah. Pato Award, Devlin Francesco and Colton Herta, part of the lineup for that team, taking up the uh, third LMP2 class victory in the last four years. So, congrats to them. And this from Nate Ryan of the 235 drivers in the Rolex 24 Hours Field, or 12 full time IndyCar drivers, five of them now will depart Daytona with some really nice watches. So, a lot that? of success uh, for those drivers. Pato Awards, second uh, win in three starts. Colton Hurtis, second win in four starts. Devlin Francesco, first win in four starts uh, for the Dragon Speed team. So, a lot of success there and just like that it's february and hey, it's hey. race month for it IndyCar.
2: Is. you know usually it's february is going to tune us up with the daytona 500 for march and
0: the start of the IndyCar season we don't have to wait till march no and this from calhoun 98 russ thompson uh saint pete will only be the fifth race in february since 1926 and two of the other four were a double header let's see if you remember this justin we've talked about this before in a foreign country 1971. Okay. South of the equator. Yeah. Argentina. Yeah. Both won by Al Unser, which. How about that? It's a, it's just a bizarre event that was put together and they had a race on an oval in Argentina. And it's a, if I remember, it's. A one-off. Incredibly long straightaways. Yes.
2: It was a very large track. It was shaped like Martinsville, but on steroids. Basically, it was like a, a paperclip.
0: Yes, but it, it was the. Uh, let's see, I, I'm pulling this up. The USAC wanted to do this this race and a circuit at Rafaela. Forty thousand people. Um, it was the Autodromo Ciudad de Rafaela, three mile oval. Yeah. Two hours from the nearest big city, USAC offered a hundred thousand dollars to stage an exhibition race, it was non-points paying, and um, there's some YouTube clips. Robin Miller actually did an article on this for Racer.com, essentially a year ago, talking about the season opener. But it's just fascinating as the pole position was 173 miles an hour. Again, this is in 1971, so it was just crazy fast. A lot of fans. And they had some Argentinians in the field who made it and all that. Um, And it was a (laughs) (laughs) one-off. One and
2: done. But, you know, anything above, like, there are very few ovals that big in the world. Yeah. At three miles. So the fact that that happened
0: even once is incredible. And it's incredible we're back this week, right? I mean, we survived the snowstorm. We did. It was... uh, not chaotic but it was more like the, the i get people outside of indiana who live in actual places where they get real amounts of snowfall or like it, it's just s- snow like we I got mean, we got a foot i mean that's yeah, a big time for around 13 inches across 2 days and they don't plow everything when it comes to residential streets until like what 2 days later basically yeah usually so i got stuck leaving work on thursday night so and then stuck getting home didn't yeah, you yeah, yeah. so <laughs> not not great if you're Driving not on a main road, um, it's probably not going to be plowed or plowed very well. And that was kind of the issue. So we're back. Plus, let's be honest, not much happened in the previous week. Yeah. So (laughs) it was a
2: a good week for a snowstorm in terms of news
0: or lack thereof. And with that, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for our email list so you never miss an episode. And we hope to announce our winner of our book giveaway, our, our, I, I picked someone. They did not respond. Okay. Picked another person waiting on their response. So we have picked winners. Somebody if, claim this yeah, book. Check your email from New Track Record Podcast. Uh, you might be a winner, and we hope to have the winner announced by the end of this week. Um, also, you can find us on uh, Facebook, just like us. Search for New Track Record on Twitter. Our handle is Podcast. And as always, you can send us an email, new track record podcast at gmail.com. Or if you get an email from that address, you should probably open it. Cause it might be important. You yeah. might get, might get a, a, a copy of a checkered past the book on Al Unser jr.
2: And I feel like we'll put this out now, hopefully in the next week, I'll have time to put together fantasy league. If that's even open Ooh, on yeah. IndyCar website. So if you're a, Interested in joining this season in our new track record podcast fantasy IndyCar season, shoot us an email. So we know how to contact you. It's not, it wasn't easy last year to set no, this thing up.
0: You, you did uh yeoman's work as yes, they say to put it, that together.
2: It, it, it They make it much more difficult than it should be. I hopefully some of these things have been rectified from here before, but if you are interested in joining us, in the uh, IndyCar Fantasy League this year, merely send us an email, say you're interested, so we'll have your contact info and we'll shoot you an email with an invite as soon as possible once we get that set up.
0: And you can find us on your favorite podcasting platform, of course, Apple Podcasts. If you follow us on there for free, do us a favor, give us a five-star rating. If you're really nice, write a review. And you can find us on Spotify, or wherever you follow your podcasts all for free okay time for the mailbag we have uh, still have a few things to get to um carried over from between the weeks and looking at the first bit um this from poet of and a story of an IndyCar driver on a temporary break oliver Askew started 17th finished ninth in his first formula e race so congrats to oliver there um, let's see. Also, he says, how about the Rolex 24? Aside from how good the race was on its own, I see a lot of good storylines to lead into St. Pete. One thing that comes to mind is how rivals Pato and Colton who on any other day are rivals were teammates for a day. Well, they should have been teammates <laughs> for a full than. season uh, back right? a couple of years ago. You know what's interesting
2: about the Rolex 24 is there's so many ties to IndyCar and very little ties to NASCAR. And when we're talking sports cars to stock cars there's a lot more similarities between those two than sports cars and open wheel cars i just wonder in turn is it is it lack of time you know is it the the length of the nascar season uh is it you know the 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 proximity of the Daytona 500 that you know is it the contractual obligations with these teams that prevent their drivers from participating in in this stuff I was wondering why IndyCar has been able to embed itself in the sports in sports car racing to the amount that it has a lot more than what stock car racing has been able to do
0: I mean more similar disciplines because there are more road courses true and IndyCar and and IMSA but You know, I would guess the proximity and contracts are part of the problem. However, it's disappointing that the TV broadcast has so much of a NASCAR element. It does. And at least Marshall Pruitt
2: brought up the very good point in the mailbag this week.
0: At least with Hinch on the broadcast now, there's a bit more of an IndyCar element. And I get it. It's a lot of the IndyCar broadcast talent, but it just, there's so much of a NASCAR, you know, focus on it which well, it, i know turns off a lot of sports car favorites.
2: it's it's a simpleton's focus on on the broadcast it's this is how you know this driver from this series and this series and, and that even goes for talking about indycar drivers look it's a sports car race sell it as a sports car race don't sell it as a hey watch this race and see these other drivers it's not I rock. you know what i mean it should be you're racing in the in the Daytona 24 or Rolex 24, and this is what it means, and this is the success these teams have had, and these are the drivers that are participating. Make it a sports car event instead of spinning it as a hey, this is wetting your appetite for Daytona, or hey, you know, I can't believe how many IndyCar drivers are in this and all this stuff, and uh, you know. But then again, they got to fill
0: a lot of time on air as well. <laughs> yeah, 24 hours and. Hey, at least they, they had an F1 guy a couple of years ago. Yes, they did. So, w- with Alonzo. And yes, there are other former F1 guys, but I mean talking current F1 guy. Comments yes. on uh, Carlin uh, leaving IndyCar. This from Way 67 on Twitter. Nice knowing you, Carlin. Thanks for showing up. Uh, this from Poet Shevchenko. R- R.I.P. Carlin IndyCar for now and posted a meme. Um did carlin unblock you yes what did it cost (laughs) their indycar team which is just that is excellent um this from srt nick 12 hopefully it's enough to keep them off bump day (laughs) (laughs) jeez tough crowd tough crowd uh this from teen 185 uh saying we were making excuses uh with the 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 snow day we took last week, look, it was bad, but he says, no excuses, fellas, that guest better be Milka Duno. (laughs) Sorry to disappoint, but I I hope you liked our guest with Mike Shank. And then R. Cole just tweeted a gif of Elio kind of doing a finger wag, saying like, you know, no, no, no. (laughs) But uh, that's where we're at. We're back this week. Don't worry. We hope it is a one-off. I don't think weather's going to impact anything soon, hopefully. Uh, This from Daguerra. How about Bjorn? Wordheim as a not-so-random split-era driver. Is that is that driver on your list, Justin? Who's that? Bjorn Werdheim? Uh, maybe in the pipeline. Okay. Well, that's an option that we'll uh, keep in mind. Uh, I always
2: need more names. As I told you before we went on air that uh, we're running out of guys that are not obscure guys that we throw around because they're obscure. Like, we need <laughs> next-level obscure Right? And, I feel like
0: there's still a lot in 96 and 97. Well, that, that's
2: usually where I go. When I start searching, I start in 96, 97.
0: Once you get past those two years, I feel like it'll be a lot tougher. Yeah. One, because I will have been old enough to kind of follow the sport and know what's going on. And two, I mean, they're more familiar names for us as well, outside of those one-off guys. Uh, this also from Daguerre, Salesforce sponsorship in the cards, talking about the JR Hildebrand Uh, likely going to be driving the 11 car for ovals. I would think that would be a factor in that. uh, Definitely. So that is a look at the mailbag. As far as tweets go, we got one uh, message from according to stitch. This is long, but we're going to read it. This is talking about the Ernie Francis jr. And race for equality and change. He says, okay, I've had a problem with this since I first started hearing things back in October. The race for equality and change was supposed to be about building a pipeline into IndyCar not just for underrepresented drivers, but everything from mechanics and engineers as well. Started force Indy to build a foundation in USF 2000 that was supposed to progress throughout the road to Indy. I love Ernie Francis Jr. I've been following his career for a long time living here in Florida, but to cut off Miles Rowe after one successful season to take the easy route, just getting a black man into the Indy 500 as quickly as possible shows that the race for equality and change has turned into nothing but a quick PR hit for the series. This is not just a perception, but a clear demonstration by the actions the series has decided to take. Trying to say otherwise is the very definition of uh, pissing on my leg and trying to tell me it's raining. <laughs> this goes for a program as well. 1500 and they're left on their own. Another example of taking the quick PR impact without an actual commitment to making lasting change. I believe IndyCar makes these decisions because they don't believe anyone is paying attention anymore. Well, I am Marshall Pruitt has been more outspoken about these decisions on his podcast as well. Y'all can make the choices you want, but I believe any car should be held accountable by all forms of media for making these decisions to make it clear that there is no intention to actually taking steps to create meaningful change. It's just another PR program being done as cheaply as possible. Appreciate the thoughts well thought out. And I think we did talk about it a couple weeks ago and I made sure to link the GoFundMe page for miles row um, on our Twitter account so people know where they can donate and again as far as we know he's probably going to start that season because he's raised about half the money for the USF 2000 season yes I, I don't disagree I mean look Peretta Autosport we forgot to talk about them and right? five hundred stuff and you know they seem to have something lined up a couple months ago but it's gone completely quiet and we don't expect them to team up with Penske but they may have to as a last resort right I mean
2: yes it's great points in there, and it really made me think and go through it and look at it and say, yeah, outwardly, it does look like that, right? As quick as possible. They're not, you know, we mentioned Carlin about not having a plan. They just kind of went into IndyCar, and, you know, this is what they were trying to do, but, you know, no overriding plan. Looks similar with this program, is, you know, to the point. They're just trying, it seems like they're just trying to get a person of color or whatever into the Indianapolis 500 as quick as possible instead of moving up the ladder. So, you know, last year it started, they started USF 2000, right? So we thought, okay, this is where the program's going to start. And then next year they're going to add Indy Pro 2000, but then keep USF 2000. And then they're going to slowly move up. And not only does that lay the groundwork for drivers, it also lays the groundwork for crew members and engineers and mechanics and you know potentially even team owners but it does very much so seem like they're just skipping around to try to hitch themselves to a particular star that's going to put them in the headlines and say hey look a person of color in the indianapolis 500 or uh, you know a, a woman in the indianapolis 500 or this or that and instead of taking the proper route the you know scenic route may not exactly be the quickest route it's probably it's the correct decision but unfortunately at least outwardly that looks like indycar is just you know chasing a quick headline instead of really laying solid groundwork for this program
0: and i think that's really ultimately the the disappointing part right i, I mean miles row won a race it's not like it was yeah. a failure it's not like a, he, you he a won a race
2: yeah and they just dissolve the team and they dissolve you know, support for Miles Rowe, all because what? Ernie Francis Jr. is a better prospect. I don't know. Maybe that
0: is that as simple as it was? Because it sure outwardly looks like that. Oh, absolutely, it does. And and Miles Rowe is further away from getting into the Indy Five Hundred. I get that, but then why not support both drivers and right. give them the tools? I mean, Will Power vouched for Miles Rowe and kind of helped line this up. And basically, it seems like Indy Car just went like, okay, that was cool. We did that. Oh, right. We found someone else that we can. Get into the Indy 500, and and again, Ernie Francis Jr. While yes, he he competed in SRX and is much more of a name, and has won a ton in Trans Am, has raced well in what was it uh, Formula Regional Americas or whatever that yeah. single seater series? Yeah, but four, yeah, it's it's going to be a steep learning curve for him. Like, is is he going to go out and win the Indy Lights championship this year? No, absolutely not. Right. Could he win a race? Maybe, like toward the second half. or or final few races of the season, but I don't think anyone has an expectation that he's going to go out and win the championship and move up to IndyCar the next year. I mean, it's just, it's too far fetched.
2: I feel like with Roger Penske, one of the many things that has made him successful over his life is perception is reality, right? It may not be reality behind closed doors, but if perception is something positive or negative, then that is reality to everybody. And right now, the perception is you're merely chasing the quickest way to get a person of color in the Indianapolis 500. That's how it looks. That may not be what the plan is. It may be a better formulated plan behind closed doors. But right now, that's the perception, which means that's reality. And that's something that Roger Penske needs to get a handle on. I'm not holding Roger Penske personally responsible. I don't think he's heavily involved in this program he has somebody else leading the way here but i you know i would question right now whether that's the right person because i don't think this is you know leading to the opportunities that we expected it to or were told it would and it just is you know not a very good program right now in terms of laying the groundwork for some of these people to get opportunities they otherwise wouldn't. It's just, it's being operated like an opportunity for IndyCar to make its way into the news for something like having a minority in the Indianapolis 500.
0: All right. Moving to news and notes before we wrap things up, uh, a couple of livery reveals, Alexander Rossi, the Napa auto parts and auto nation scheme. Uh, they've kind of combined them. I'm not sure how I feel about it. I don't know if you saw this car. I'm not, I'm not really, uh, not like not a it. fan. Not a fan. Um, You're always a couple tough other. To anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Another other sponsor news uh, with drivers and teams. Um, let's see. Ray Hall, CSU One Cure, uh, and they've expanded their partnership. They'll be the primary sponsor for his entry at IMS on July 30th. Full season associate sponsor PPG back with Team Penske for 2022. They'll be with Joseph Newgarden on the number two PPG Chevy in eight races. I don't think that's really much of a surprise and a couple other series news and notes. Uh, congrats to Georgia Hen- Henneberry or Henberry. Uh, she'll be the IndyCar track side reporter as well as Indy lights on Peacock TV for the season. Now she, I think worked with IMSPA last year and okay. I would assume she's replacing Katie Kyle, uh, yeah. as far as for IndyCar track side. Uh, Good reporting. Yep. And then uh, Jimmy Johnson, Colton Herta, they came up in second, in the race of champions in Sweden, where they're racing on snow and ice. That looked fun. It looked really cool. And some notes uh, about IMS Rev Indy, the tickets are sold out, but Willpower has been named the honorary chair. He might play drums <laughs> in the event. <laughs> and Ray Hall Airman Landing and Racing, they've partnered with Ball State. For an esports partnership and scholarships, so that is a pretty cool pretty deal, cool. right there. I've started eyeing esports more
2: and more as my son gets older. Right now, in sixth grade, because very much into gaming. Um, he's one of like an artistic type. Does gaming, does band, does you know creative writing and stuff like that. But man, there is some lucrative scholarships you can get for gaming. I mean, even St. Francis here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, is getting involved. In uh, in esports and this is a small um, you know commuter campus mo- most most of it at least and uh, you know in the NAIA let alone you know Division one two three stuff yeah so it's uh, it's growing and it's definitely something catching my eye because it absolutely could help my family pay for my son's college if he continues <laughs> to game the way he does.
0: Well, there's the IndyCar Pro Challenge coming up tonight, there six you Eastern, go. Twitch, YouTube, Facebook streaming. Uh, with IndyCar, a lot of IndyCar drivers participating in that, and there'll be different series or, or races, I think, what, every week? So this is kind of a whole thing. Oh, and, it's a whole thing. Uh, we will have, uh, we're title sponsor for a race coming up this weekend as well, the Elite Racing League, the IndyCar Podcast 500 for the Mega Driver 86 IndyCar Series. Uh, that is coming up this weekend go to elite racing uh, and then just the underscore button on twitter for all the details for that so that's coming up as well and with that we got a couple more things to get to and then we'll get to your split era driver of the week here excellent did you see uh the red bull i livery? did i did with oracle yeah that's looks... uh, quite the title sponsor yes 100, 100 million a year it's uh it's a pretty penny that would pay for like Twenty IndyCar teams.
2: (laughs) You know what's interesting about the the cars for Red Bull is you look at the car and it's so busy with the bulls on it and all this stuff, but it's just it also gives that clean look, which is very difficult. I I feel like that's you know you've made it as a company because the bull is not subtle, right? It's in your face, but it just flows like it's not eye-catching to the point where you're just like that doesn't belong it does belong and i think that's that's a hurdle you know you throw 100 liveries together with random companies and the majority that big you're gonna be like that's doesn't work but with red bull it does but uh yeah big big cash influx for red bull you know that's the stuff you can do after you win a f1 championship
0: yeah you get a lot of money and we, we talked a little bit about the Clash earlier, but uh, TV ratings, 4.283 million viewers on Fox. Uh, I'd say that's pretty good. Nearly beat out the Pro Bowl. And uh, Necktie, Arnie Shriben of IndyCar, said, With the Clash, showing you can put temporary oval racetracks where the people are, can we please revisit the 1.2-mile oval for IndyCar at Berk Lake Front Airport? And... Bobby Rahal replying or Milwaukee. (laughs) Yeah, you know that's a great option. And then we we learned over the weekend from Jim Utter, a NASCAR reporter. But he says, sounds to me, the whole change at Auto Club Speedway from two mile to half mile NASCAR track is all but dead. Sooner or later, you actually have to start the renovations. and doesn't seem to be happening. And one other uh, quick note on um, some some driver news. So we, we mentioned a checker pass. Well, Jade Gers is taking it on tour in indiana evansville martinsville carmel bloomington and columbus watch out for dates and details on autograph sessions with al unser jr and yours truly coming soon so you can get the book if you don't want it from us very nice and marshall pruitt has a very long informative and confusing to confusing us. article talking yes. about super capacitors with the uh, hybrid plan for 2023 on racer.com of note testing should start next month either on the sebring short course or at ims on the road course and teams involved. Uh, you're looking at Aaron McLaren SB Penske for Chevy and then Honda with Chip Ganassi racing, uh, for the ERS shakedown with that. And, uh, from the racer mailbag, Jerry Hildebrand, he is running Pike Peak and a Delora Indy car. So that's pretty cool. I would like to see that also Peacock, uh, Indy races will be on Peacock, but they'll have the same, stuff that you'd see on regular NBC or on USA network. So commercials and everything, which, which I'm fine. Like, yeah, like, really people. And then, uh, as far as a third OEM Marshall says, don't lose hope on any car landing a third supplier and any car deep throat, basically saying the same thing. This is still set to happen. No details on an announcement, but uh, Toyota still set to become the third OEM. The longer it takes to announce more worried I become if it's not announced around St. Pete's I'll be a little bit more worried Yeah. if it's not announced by Indy 500 weekend I'll be very worried <laughs> if it's done then why isn't it announced and I think if it's they're not just done, waiting for the optimum time to well, announce it
2: I, I don't know then, then just come out and do it I, what's an optimum time you know what's an optimum time right when you're a couple weeks away from starting the season and that would really you know inject the series with some positivity entering 2022
0: wouldn't it yeah, I, I don't disagree. I it makes it's Saint me think Pete. that it's not done, which means there's a possibility it would not happen. I think St. Pete, uh, I mean, I'll give it until St. Pete, and then if nothing happens, then then I'll really start to doubt everything that, that is happening with that. All right, fair that's, enough. That's just me. And then qu- quickly, shout out to Robert Wickens and Brian Heard of Autosport as they scored a podium finish in the, what, what is that, the TCR Challenge at Daytona. Yeah, it was a Friday. I the think, Friday before race. The Rolex 24. Before the Rolex 24. All right. Yeah. With that, time for your split air driver of the week.
2: All right. As we mentioned, you know, that ninety six ninety seven fertile fertile area, 98 as well. Remember Mimo? Domenico Shetarella? Who? Okay, yeah, I'll tell you. He's from Italy. Uh, he participated in seven Formula One Grand Prix for Simtech. Remember Simtech? sponsor? No, no, I do not. No? Man. Well, if this was 1998 Kart World Series and what made me fascinated with Mimo, Dominico uh was the fact that he raced three years in open wheel, in kart uh, and was part of Project Indy for two years, but then there was a thing called Project Kart Did you know this? No. In 1998, he raced for one race for Project Kart. It was Long Beach. He finished 16th. Cool sponsor, though. Hawaiian Tropic. Yeah. Uh, It was a team owned by Andreas Leberle, competed in kart, Indy Racing League, former chief mechanic for Euro Motorsport. Um, Let's see. Funded in 1994 and operated throughout the 1998 season. Only appearance in the IRL was with Johnny Unser or two of the three races of the 96 season and two in the 96, 97 season, our favorite all time IRL season, 96, 97.
0: He also raced an F one though, uh, MTV Simtech Ford. You mentioned that I do recall that car, but you know why it's called project cart.
2: Was it was Project Indy, but in 1998, the team was known as Project CART due to not being allowed to use the Indianapolis Motor Speedway's Indy trademark Correct, as the team by then only participated in CART. (sighs) Uh, The team attempted the Indianapolis 500 several times, only succeeded in making the field 96 with Unser. Their car did not start due to a broken transmission. So Project Indy never started at Indianapolis 500.
0: But Pretty he amazing. did start two NASCAR Whelan Euro Series races in 2015. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, <laughs>
2: getting back to Mimo, Dominico Chattarella. So, yeah, that project cart that is Project Indy raced that one race in 1998. But he raced the previous couple years in Project with Project Indy. 26th at in Toronto, 16th at Mid-Ohio, and withdrew from Vancouver in 1994. And then raced twice in the 1995 season, Vancouver 18th and Laguna Seca 21st and then made the Long Beach start in 1998 for Project Cart, a.k.a. Project Indy. And that was it for Domenico or Mimo. He did race two Le Mans uh, Mans 24 Hours, uh, 99 and 2000. Also did some endurance races or some V8
0: supercars. And you mentioned the the Whalen Euro Series. Yeah, at Valencia in Spain. I mean, that's a a F1 test circuit. That's big time. So, and a MotoGP track. So he
2: did five races total over three years. His first race, he tried to attempt to qualify for the Molson Indy, Indy Toronto way back in '94. Didn't make it. Um, but his final race was the '98 Long Beach Grand Prix. Again, made seven starts or no, six starts. Excuse me. In in F1, uh, raced for SimTech was his
0: team in Formula One. I do recall the car because I had MTV as the sponsor, and I do remember that car. There you go. It had a bunch of funky colors. His last entry in Formula
2: One was the 95 Monaco Grand Prix. And once again, Domenico Mimo Chattarella, Project Indy driver, and the lesser known but exactly the same Project Cart team. And I'm not even going to
0: try to pronounce his last name because your guess is as good as mine. I mean, there's a lot of vowels in there.
2: (laughs) I'm just letting it flow. I'm going with... Shatterella. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's Schiatt, Schiattarella <laughs> or whatever uh, from Italy. But um, yeah. Domenico, Mimo, Shatterella, Scatterella, your random split era driver of the week for this week.
0: Good. Uh, uh, a good thing to end on. Another random split era driver of the week that I've never heard of. And that is <laughs> the goal. And so far, you've succeeded. Good job. I thank you. So next week, we'll be back with more IndyCar Talk. Wow. It'll be two weeks from the IndyCar season opener when we uh, get back with you next week uh, to talk all things IndyCar and going to get ready for that season season preview episode pretty soon here.
2: Yes, let's do it. I mean, that's two weeks. Yeah. From season preview. Next week, we'll hopefully have some details
0: on uh, Fantasy IndyCar with us. Yes, for sure. All right. Well, thanks to Mike Shank for Justin Kinney. I am Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on another edition of New Track Record Podcast.
2: Podcast by Federated Media.